Hey there, you're listening to Deadhead Girl Talk. I'm Steph Terrace, your host here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And our recording might sound a little bit different today because I'm recording in person with another deadhead here in Ann Arbor who's also named Stephanie. And uh, we have been friends for maybe about 10 years, maybe a little less, but we both felt like we always knew each other somehow, so that's been pretty special for both of us. Exactly. And, uh, but we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about our mutual interest in jam bands and your own history of the dead. So let's just begin, Stephanie, with your story of how you found your way to the Grateful Dead. Well... If memory serves, it was about 1995 or 96. Um, my family had just moved to Binghamton, New York. Many great Grateful Dead shows played there. Um, my best friend's older sister, Rachel, came home, I believe from tour after Jerry died and was devastated, um, of course. And she had us watch these, I think, acid test videos and music and all that and I remember just like dancing and feeling a lot of joy and sorrow and from there at that point I was I realized that you know music can affect you on a visceral level and about how old were you I was about 12 13 and I loved it. It reminded me of my dad's jazz, but also like the rock and roll I wasn't allowed to listen to, uh, kind of in one. <clears throat> and so from there, I, it just got, I just became obsessed. Um, my sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade book reports were always about Jerry, um, always about the band. Uh, and were that you sort reading of actual thing. books that you were reporting yeah, about? Yeah, they, you know, even then they had a bunch of biographies and um, the internet wasn't quite what it is now, but there were still some, some things. But yeah, there were books, uh, you know, that just a lot of newspaper articles, anything I could find. Uh, my mother's a librarian, so it helps. Um, and then, um, but before that, you know, that's when I started to understand like San Francisco culture. And I remembered in probably, I was probably in like fifth grade. So it was a few years before this. My father was supposed to, well, he had a job interview in San Francisco. And so he went there and uh, interviewed. We ended up not moving there then, but he came back and he said to me, if there's a place in this world for you, it's San Francisco. Because I think my parents, I was adopted, and so they're like super left-brained. I'm very right-brained. It kind of was like I was the odd one out always. Um, but when my dad told me about San Francisco, all of a sudden I thought, okay, maybe I will fit in someplace. Um, then fast forward, discover Jerry Garcia, discover the dead. Crazy. They're from San Francisco. So all these things just started coming together in my tiny teenage brain. Um, I was obsessed with the Grateful Dead all through middle school, all through high school. Um, I would even, I even hated fish for a while. Because it seemed like it was... They were like replacing the dead and no one can do that. And I just didn't, I never gave them a chance. Uh, Until I met a girl when I was 
I believe a sophomore and she was a senior and she, her brother had gone on fish tour and she had gone to a couple of shows with him. And when I, when she introduced me to fish, I could see it in a new way. Um, now, were you seeing any shows in high school? Did you see the band live or you know, I what versions didn't see, there were? So the, the Dead and all their iterations don't really come to Michigan that often and definitely didn't then. Um, but I did see Fish. I saw them at the Palace in, I believe, 1999. Um, it was this, the show after their amazing tweezer or whatever people always talk about. Uh, but the show was great. It was really fun. Um, like, I don't think the palace even exists anymore. And even if it did, I don't think fish would even fit in there anymore. Um, but yeah, great show. And just, and that's when I started to see, like, that was my first live, like, show in the scene, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I, you know, my first time seeing Shakedown, my first time seeing how, people dance like me, you know, or, or dance however they want. And my first time feeling like the joy of the whole crowd. Um, and that was really special. And so after that, I was just like, okay, I move as soon as I'm done here in Michigan, I'm moving to San Francisco. And being done in Michigan meant graduating from high school? Graduating, and then I took a year after high school to just like work. I was a server, save up as much money as I can before I moved out there. I did briefly stay in Sacramento with my cousin, but eventually, even like without ever even visiting San Francisco, I decided to move there. And I did, and it was amazing. Um, Yeah, so that would have been in about probably 2004. And let's see. Oh, in following in the steps of Jerry. Um, so I moved to the city. I lived in the Fillmore and I went to uh, the art school that he and Janice attended, I think both briefly. Um, What's the name of that school? Oh, the San Francisco Art Institute. Uh, and what, were you, what kind of art were you doing there? I was in the painting department. I did painting and drawing. Um, I dabbled in some new genres, which is like, if you have like painting, drawing, film, photography, new genres is like anything else. Performance sort of, but like, and like literally anything else. Anything else. Um, it was fun. It was amazing. But I kind of lived like two different lives in a way because on one side, I was like, I really related to the art school scene. So I would go up there for school and then I would go nine blocks south and then I don't know how many blocks to the west and hang out on Hate Street. And uh, there, there was a particular place where all the hippies would hang out. And if you just went there, the, my favorite thing about going to a big city is people do stuff alone and then and then you can make friends really easily because people see that you're alone. And it's like, it's such a transient city that everybody does stuff alone. And then you make friends. So I would just go, I found Hippie Hill. And where's Hippie Hill? Hippie Hill 
is in Golden Gate, Golden Gate Park. We called it GGP. And um, it's just if you walk all the way down Hate Street and you keep going straight, you eventually run into Hippie Hill. And you can tell it's Hippie Hill because there's usually a bunch of hippies hanging out. And also there's a giant peace sign uh, uh, painted on the sidewalk. At least there was when I lived there. I don't know. Um, and then there's this one single scraggly tree, and it's called the Janice tree. And uh, I believe the rumor is that she planted that tree. Um, it's kind of a funny tree. It's like really, it doesn't do very well, but it just keeps on living. It's always kind of scraggly and weird looking. But And under the Janice tree is where hippies would gather, put blankets down, you know, uh, smoke some cannabis and just like hang out. I believe this is where I met my chosen sister in the Grateful Dead, Tiffany. Uh, she was one of those beautiful, you know, earthy, down to earth hippie women that like, just you meet her and you love her. And so we, when she found out that I also love the Grateful Dead and blah, 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 she told me about this, um, this little bar called Nikki's. Nikki's was located at 466 Hate, uh, right next to Fillmore. Um, I lived nine blocks north of Hate and Fillmore. Uh, on Turk Street. So it was like a, it was a, a hill. You went up and down, up and down. I had to walk up and down just to get to see the Grateful Dead. Backwards in the snow. Backwards in the snow, in the freezing cold rain and microclimates. Um, so, and then Tiff turned out she lived right across from Nikki's um, on top of a CVS. Uh, so, one time, you know, she invited me to go, go to Nikki's with her. And that's when we realized that we had, okay, not to sound like not like other girls, but I think that there's something to be said about finding music with, from either yourself or with other women than having a man tell you about it. In my experience, uh, men can be condescending or they act like, you know, they're introducing you to how to love music or something. Whereas, you know, Tiff and I, we like already loved it, um, knew every word to everything would be like dancing and screaming the words. And, you know, uh, I hope you, I hope we're able to invite her so I can introduce you to her one day because, you know, just the, we were famous. It was, it felt like we were famous. In what way? Um, just like we have a very similar dancing style. We know every note and tune. People would like stop and form circles around us while we were dancing. We like never paid for any drinks. Eventually we never even paid for the cover because we were just so happy 
and enthusiastic and joyful to be there. Like, and what kind of music were you seeing at Nikki's? Oh, Nikki's uh, was, there was a Grateful Dead night every Tuesday. And there was a DJ and they just played really great tunes. Um, it was, I believe, a beer only bar. Uh, and, but most people just like, you know, did psychedelics and smoked weed in there. Oh, and there was always dogs. Inside the bar? Yeah, I used to bring, because San Francisco is a very, like, dog-friendly city. You could basically bring your dog anywhere if it's trained, at least then. Mind you, I'm talking about, you know, the early, the early aughts, if you will. Um, It's different there now. Nikki's is not the same. You, if you want to go there now, you go there for a fancy brunch. It's like, it's still the same building name, but it's not the same at all anymore. Uh, so, so you took your dog? Oh yeah. Funniest story. You can cut this if it's too much, but so I would take my, I talk to my dog everywhere. His name was Moondog Road Dog. He was a, a gorgeous gray, uh, like lab chow Rottweiler mutt. And um, he just, you know, he just followed me everywhere. He, he was my best friend. He was like everything for, to me. And so we go to Nikki's, and he was known there. And he would just like, all the dogs would just like run around people's legs and like, you know, say hi to everyone. All the dogs were happy there. I don't remember there ever being a dog altercation or problem or anything. So one time, Tiff and I are like dancing hard. It's some whatever, really groovy song. And... At the end, I'm just like, you know, sweating, look around and don't see my dog. And usually he like, he comes back to me every like two minutes. Like he checks on me, you know, goes off, comes back. So and he hasn't done that. I'm like, wait, he hasn't done that for like that whole jam. So I'm looking around, looking around and I look over, my dog is sitting at the bar with a beer in front of him. <laughs> Some people think that's dog abuse. I don't know, but like I, I, I never, he never got drunk. Don't worry. But like. I was like, I walked over and I'm like, what the, I'm, and he like says hi to me. And I'm like, who did, who bought you? I have no idea. The bartender was like, someone just said, hey, buy that dog a beer. And that's what happened. And I was like, all right. I'm like, well, what about me? Like no one wants to buy me a beer? It was hilarious. I'll never forget that. He's such a good boy. That's a great image. Yeah. He just loved it. And um, yeah. Moondog. Moondog. Good guy. So yeah, we would, and then after that, it became a regular thing. Every Tuesday, we would go to Nikki's. Um, every weekend, we would hang out at Hippie Hill. Um, we would do there was like drum circles. We would dance. It was like lots of dancing, lots of going up and down San Francisco hills, um, like lots of just wandering the city because it's just that's one thing I miss about like a big city is you you almost never see the same thing twice. Uh, it's always like something interesting. I do feel really sad. I went to the mission the other day and now I always think about Jerry's mission in the rain. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, no matter, the mission always looks the same, but it doesn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, actually I'm kind of glad he wasn't here to see that that song didn't live out. And it's such a beautiful song. My one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites. Uh, what do you what in what way do you think that you and Tiff 
sort of supported one another's exploration of the music when you were saying, you know, the experience of discovering it by yourself or with a woman friend. How, how did that happen with the two of you? Well, I think in these types of scenes, it's very, like, white male, um, like, kind of oriented. Uh, bathroom lines are great. Go to a show. Don't have to wait. Um, but, you know, and so that can be, especially for someone like I was then, uh, it can be difficult to navigate because, I don't know, white men are annoying. And especially when you're, like, 20. Uh, so... I think it was nice to have, we always had each other's back. Yeah. Always. Um, we never, like, we, we never even talked to men who tried to talk to us. We weren't there to get a date. We were there for dancing and loving and, like, celebrating ourselves and our love for each other and the love for the music and the connection and just those, like, you know, full body chills. That's what I'm there for. I'm yeah. there for the full body chills. I'm there for having a woman like singing the words with me next to me. I mean, like I and, and I don't blame other women, but I think a lot of the time when women are introduced to the dead or fish or whatever by their partners, like it's easy to go along, even if you like absolutely hate the music mm. and. You know, it was nice to find someone who genuinely liked the music despite men. Like, we didn't even, you know, if Their there were. opinion didn't matter. Didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I think that was really special. And then afterwards, we'd walk across the street, totally tired, our feet black from dancing, because yes, we would take our shoes off in Nikki's. Uh, and then we'd wash off, scrub our feet, clean out the shower, and then take a bath. And we would just take a bath and relax and talk about it, make fun of the dudes who tried to talk to us or whatever, like, you know, talking about whatever, just our, our evening. And it was just a nice way, you know, I mean, those are those friendships that are formed, I think, during such a like growing growth period. Are important not to say that good friendships can't form at any other time but like there I don't know that it's just something like we're bonded now like Tiff and I are bonded forever and maybe we always have been we kind of one thing that she said she was like I think soulmates are for women she's like I don't think you can have a soulmate who's a man maybe a trauma bond but not a soulmate <laughs> and I'm like that is perfect and I agree hundred percent. And she's still your close friend today, right? Yes. Yeah. I just we just went to Hawaii together. She's like she wants to follow in Jerry's footsteps hundred percent. So, and she was so mad. She wanted because my husband was going to take me to Hawaii for my first time, and now and then she was like, no, I want to do that. Hawaii is my special place. And so then they both did. They became friends and planned the whole trip. We went to all of Jerry's like snorkeling spots and. Uh, we made the boat play Fire on the Mountain and, like, other songs. I can't remember. Uh, just a bunch of Grateful Dead. And, yeah, it was really great. And we just keep going. And it's nice. It's nice to hang out with 
people who like love the same kind of music as you do. Mm-hmm. I didn't used to think it was very important. I even dated men with terrible, awful, objectively awful taste in music, thinking like, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I think it matters. I think like, you know, food, sex, music, love, all those things are like really important to have in common. That's what makes a lasting relationship. In my experience, might not be the same for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. How, now you're back in Michigan as we speak, so how long did you stay in San Francisco? Let's see. I moved to the East Bay to Oakland in 2008. I'm terrible with years, so if anybody knows me from that time and is listening to this, just let me have my time. If you want to be on this podcast, they re- call yeah, Stephanie. They can correct me. <laughs> yeah, right. whatever. Like, just... So for me, like, time is just all at once. Like, it's so hard to be linear. Anyway, around 2008. And then I lived in Oakland for a few years. And then, so probably a a good, like, nine years, Mm -hmm. ten years in the Bay Area. Um, Then my son and I moved to Arizona. And that's where I met my husband, Mm -hmm. who, who I met at a Grateful Dead night in Tempe. So before we get to that, you did tell me you saw a lot of live shows um, in the Bay Area. So many. And we would also have, like, Phil sightings and, like, you know, all that stuff. Uh, It was, yeah, it was really fun going to see, like, I really feel they play their best on the West Coast. It's their home. It's their home, exactly. And the fans are, may I say better? Better's not, better's so general. It just feels kinder on the West Coast. Um, I'm never going to see a fish show in Indianapolis ever again. Sorry, Indy. I'm saying this, not Stephanie. Don't get mad at her. Um, I just feel like there's a certain level of when the bros get to be too bro-y. And I think the location has something to do with that. But yeah, saw that. the independent was cool. One time we went to see if Tiff was here, she would know. Oh, Tea Leaf Green, a little jam band from I think they're from the Bay Area. I don't really know. Um, and everyone on Hippie Hill was like in an uproar, like, uh, what were they saying? Like Phil's gonna be there. Phil's gonna be there. Phil's gonna drop in and do blah blah blah. So we go, even though we're kind of like, is this a hippie room or is this real? Nope. Phil came and they did a uh, full Terrapin station. Wow. It was sweet. I wonder how the Hippie Hill people knew that Phil was going to be there. Dude, they knew everything. Well, the thing about Hippie Hills, a lot of them are like dead family, like through and through. You know, like a lot of the stuff like, um, like growing cannabis or even like making L. It's been passed on from all these generations. And they're just all like a really connected family. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. There's just that hippie rumor mill that's usually right. Usually right. So then Arizona? No, no, No one I knew at that there listened to my music. In fact, adamantly did not like the Grateful Dead. Mm. <laughs> Most of my friends don't like jam bands. 
they had a trip, or at least like, you know, Fish the Grateful Dead again, because I think men tried to force it on them. Men were like, listen to this. What do you mean you don't like this sick jam or whatever? It's like, you know, instead of just uh, letting it happen, you know, or going to a live show or whatever. Did yeah. you take girlfriends to live shows who didn't know about it and try to introduce them like a man would do? Um, I did take a couple of my friends, but most people have this, like, they develop like a hate, almost a hate, not, hate is too strong maybe, but like just a distaste. Or, you know, some people, sometimes it can be scary. And I think many people, um, you know, don't, don't like to feel scared. You mean the sound of the music can sometimes yeah. be scary? Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, there's often times where you feel kind of like a puppet on a string. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been times when I've, like, you know, laughed out loud and then, like, just started crying, you know? And so it's like... I remember when I was much younger and less tolerant, I guess, of uh, discomfort. Um, And I would complain about space to Jeff. And he, being much older than me and much wiser in some ways, would say, you have to go through that so that moment of beauty can wash over you when they come out of it and play something so lovely. And of course, he was completely right. Exactly. That's and where the chills come from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's where that connection comes from. That's where the trust comes from, too. You're learning to, yeah, go through something very discomforting so, and also feel the, I like to say, the E chord. <laughs> I feel like it's always the E chord ah, coming out. Uh-huh. Nice. I think the E chord is the divine. Uh, We don't really have to get into all my musical theory right now, but um, there is something divine about music and having that connection with the band. And I think the Grateful Dead and also Fish, you know, I think the the best example with Fish is um, the Moma Dance song. It's like a, because so the words are the moment ends, but the fans thought he was saying the MoMA dance. Now he says both, you know? And so it's like the growing with your fan base, growing with the band, you know, like it's, it's a connection that, I mean, maybe anyone who loves any musician has that connection. For me, it's with these bands, these boys. Like I just, I feel it. I love it. It can make me cry. It can make me laugh. It can, like, change my entire day, you know? Um, If I remember, if I'm feeling down, I remember to put on Eyes of the World, like, my day is completely changed. Yes. And that's special. Let's take a little break. Okay. Once I had a girlfriend, she meant the world to me. She went down to Deep Ellum, now she ain't what she used to be. Oh, sweet mama, daddy's got them Deep Ellum blues. Oh, 
we're back. And um, one of the things that I've been wanting to do with this podcast is also have a chance to talk with women who I admire and appreciate mm -hmm. about uh, your own creative life and if you have any thoughts about how your experience of listening to this music or going to the shows or being part of the community has influenced your creative self-expression. So we know that you went to art school and studied painting and drawing and also the non-painting and drawing, exactly. <laughs> whatever that might be. <laughs> and um, so talk to me a little about how you live your life today as a creative person. So I'm glad you asked because there is a direct connection. Um, the only thing that I can listen to while I'm painting is The Grateful Dead. Uh, I've tried other things, sometimes jazz, but even that doesn't always work out for me. Uh, the Grateful Dead is, I just always, um, it was a little embarrassing in art school because Grateful Dead wasn't really cool anymore. Well, you had said ever. it was sort of two, two different lives. It really was. It really was. <laughs> One time I had this like hippie white dread boyfriend who played the banjo and he came and surprised me at art school. He was standing on the fountain at SFAI and was just like playing the banjo. He was really good at it. Have like, I wa I'm like, what? What is that banjo? That sounds like him. I'm not going to say his name. Uh, so I come up down from like the dungeon of the painting department. He has a whole crowd around him and he's doing like a concert at my school as a surprise for me and I was like oh man but it was fine you know whatever it was cool I just hadn't planned on you know it was a sort of a coming joining out. the two yeah it was kind of a coming out like now everyone's gonna know I'm a stupid hippie <laughs> just kidding um but you know so it was but it was great I mean it was fine but yeah I definitely had I kept those groups separate um but for whatever reason I don't know I was also 23 maybe I just couldn't handle it Anyway, um, so yes, I only I can only see the Grateful Dead when I paint. It's my favorite thing to listen to. Um, Do you only listen to live shows when you paint? Yes, mm -hmm. only live shows. I have a few albums that are my favorite. Do you want to know what they are? Sure. Pulling them up on your playlist. Yep, exactly. Because I can't remember anything. Uh, one from the Vault live and. Cornell 5877. My favorite eyes of the world is Pacific Northwest 7374. All right, I'll look for it and play it. I would recommend playing the entire thing. Well, that would be, <laughs> that would be a good strategy. And what uh, kind of painting are you doing when you're listening to The Grateful Dead? Um, you know, I'm still... Colors are my favorite thing. I'm still trying to find something to paint that is equally difficult and fun and easy and, and something that like will bring the ultimate joy to people. So I just, so now I'm just painting. I paint people, I paint pets, I paint the world around me, I paint 
all sorts of stuff. Anything that I want is what I paint. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I, would, I would actually go to the art studio at SFAI very late just so I could play the Grateful Dead really loud without people being like, uh, can we put something else on? <laughs> do you think the improvisational quality of the music is something that you're trying to do in your own work? Well, yeah, yes. And there's something comforting. So like when I'm, when I'm creating, I, I don't necessarily like songs with words, for example. But The Grateful Dead is kind of like what my friend Tiff has called um, psychedelic weighted blanket. It's like psychedelic rock, but it's so comforting that it's like, yeah, there are, there are like scary fun, scary fun parts, but when you listen to them now, it's almost like the whole history of how much you love the music is like on you. And mm -hmm. so you feel like calm. I feel clarity. Uh, and so I get lost in the jams while I'm painting. But then when the words come on, it's kind of like this mental break. And I sing along while I keep painting. And then they shut up again. And then it goes, you know, so it's kind of like this nice... It's not all words, words all the time. I just think it's perfect for creative expression, you know? And it's not like jazz where it's like always bam, 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 forever and mm -hmm. no break, mm -hmm. rarely breaks. Uh, yeah. That's a good way of describing it. I like that. Mm -hmm. I'm stealing all Tiff's words. She's going to be mad when I introduce you to her. When she's on the podcast and she's Just like, kidding. you already she, told me all that She stuff. has a million stuff to say, I'm sure. <laughs> and what about your creative life beyond painting? I mean, obviously you have a creative home and... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all done with the Grateful Dead and Fish in the background. Mm -hmm. um, and what? how do you describe that? Because obviously it's not like bunch of concert posters I mean we're talking about more of a aesthetic yeah so one time um my husband was saying like my favorite type of decor is a house that's comfortable to to like be high in listen to music and uh like that and so that was the aesthetic that I was going for comfortable and when you when I walk into my house I mean if you walk if you had never met me before and you walked into this house and I had the Grateful Dead playing in the background you would be like oh that makes sense right yeah it kind of yeah. just like goes with everything mm -hmm. do you have any stories about something magical that happened to you as a at a show or as a result of you know because I almost feel like knowing you is one of those magical things to me like I've had Definitely. this feeling that we did meet yeah. when we were younger, even though neither of us can quite figure out when that would have been. We're I both agree. sure of it. Yeah. So, and I feel like that kind of thing happens in association with this community in a way that's not as statistically significant, the common in other parts I of know. life. I know, it's so true. I feel like that a lot. In fact, I had a very realistic dream, and I won't go all dreamy annoying into it, but like where, I was, I was like 
dropped in this space, and it was all the people in the community and the scene that I had met before, and they're like, "You did it! Like this is where we're all from." And then like we we like wake up and go out into the real world in our lives, but really we're all here. And like you finally got to got to like the best show in the clouds or whatever it was, you know. And I feel that a lot. Um, I mean, just yeah, you're a perfect. Our relationship is a perfect example. Mine and Tiff's relationship, like, I don't remember the, like exactly the moment we met in this life, but I know I've known her for forever. We know that, like, we can tell that. Mm -hmm. I feel the same thing with you, you know, like. Maybe we've always even liked the dead, or maybe we've always really liked con like understanding consciousness, or maybe like we care about consciousness because we've been around for so long, or something. Yeah, maybe. You know, and so I think that's part of it, and I think also, um, you know, because psychedelics can be a part of this community, I think it's easy for people to get there. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I'm so happy with the advent of like, um, you know, decriminalization of, of mushrooms in Ann Arbor. I think that's really important. And I think the number of people who, you know, choose to be in this community have, you know, and, you know, I, mean, I know there's people who don't. But I'm just saying, like, there's a certain level of we've all gotten to that point. Like, I've been to so many shows. Um where you know I understood the meaning of life. It's hard to explain, <laughs> as you can imagine, and I'm not even gonna try here, but you know, but that brings you to that place, I think, easier. It's like almost the music, you know, plus the mostly kindness, um, and plus the direct connection to the innermost workings of our brain, you know, it's like the perfect storm of helping you become a better person. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there's always going to be a bad apple, you know. People are always going to abuse things. But I think for the most part, at least the people that I have continued and will continue to have relationships with, it's part of their growth, you know. My husband once said, if you're not trying to be a better person every day, then what are you doing, you know? And I 100% believe that, and I think there's ways to do that, and one way is to, you know, try to look completely inward and see everybody outside, too, Yeah. at the same time. And I think it's easy to do that in this scene. And, you, and it extends elsewhere. Then you bring you know. it. You can bring it back into your regular life. Exactly. And hopefully spread that good joy. Yes. To people who don't know or care anything right. about this. Right. Or find joy in other things. You know, like I, when I used to be Catholic, I was raised Catholic, born Catholic. I'm confirmed, whatever. And I remember feeling similar things when I was little. When I believed, before people told me I couldn't be a priest. Uh, <laughs> That was a really big downer for me. <laughs> Huge bummer. Uh, so, you know, and I remember feeling these things that I believed. Same things I feel with the music, with the Eno, with like that perfect, you know, the, 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 um, the tension before 
The release. The release. Mm-hmm. Like that is huge. And like, like you were saying earlier, the point is to try to figure out to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that goes, that can be useful any part of your life. Yeah. You know, when, when I, you know, started to realize and learn um, how big of a part, you know, I'm a white woman. Like, I've done damage, and, I, and it's important, and I did bring that from that community into this systemic racist life because I'm like, you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable about the fact that you're a white woman in a systemic racist society, and you are privileged, and you, you know, you, you benefit. Yes, you, I can't change the world, I'm, you know, but I can only, it's okay it's like, and, and. I try to be my best, and I'm a problematic white woman. And is that a devastating thing to know about yourself? That I'll never know what my uh, you know, friends of color go through, and I can't even imagine? Yeah, that is devastating. I'm an empathic person, I wanna know. But I never will, and it's just like feeling that uncomfortableness. How did I learn to feel that uncomfortableness? When the boys are just like holding that one note before the, you know, before the E or whatever. Yeah. And as you said, it is a form of deepening consciousness. And deepening consciousness is necessary for all the things that we know we need to be working on as humans and as animals on the planet. Precisely. Yeah. Good. That was all the questions I wanted to ask, Stephanie. Great. Is there anything else you want to share? No, I think we covered everything I would love to share. I'm so glad. Thank you for sharing. I'm really glad, too. Deadhead Girl Talk is produced by Steph Terrace, that's me, with my audio engineer, Liam Cadle. Our awesome original music is performed by Sally Van Meter, Casey Groves, and Abigail Washburn and engineered by Eric Wiggs. Art for the show is created by Lisa F. And Armstrong and by Sparkles Kate. You can follow us on Twitter at Deadhead Talk.